really, really excited for what God is doing in their life. So we're in this series, Don't Judge Me, going through the book of Judges. And today is, um, we're, is kind of part two of a three-part kind of mini-series within Judges because we're looking at the life of Gideon, which takes up a, a number of chapters in the book of Judges. He gets a lot of attention and, and for good reason. And, and uh, last week, we looked at um, God calling Gideon in the midst of his fear and God using Gideon even though he was afraid. And we looked at our fears and we talked about how, how a lot of us have fears. And, and I want to say a, a few things before we start. Uh, first, I got, we got home and, uh, um, uh, from church and my wife said, how could you do what you did? And I said, okay, I'm in trouble. And, uh, and, and she didn't say it that much, like that drastic, but she said, uh, she goes, I, my skin was crawling the entire service after you put up the picture of that snake. <laughs> I'm like, oh, and, and some of you, I, I apologize if that happened to you as well. Where you're like, oh, I'm like, well, it's just a picture, you know, but, but it could have been real. It could have been. And, um, and, uh, and she goes, why didn't you share any of your fears? And I said, well, honey, you happen to marry a guy who doesn't have any. <laughs> I don't have any fears. And then she goes, she says what she said. She goes, what about the Red Cross? And I go, well, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> so what, about, what about giving blood? And I said, I don't think the church needs to hear this. <laughs> so here's the deal. Uh, that, she got me. I was like, I don't really have anything I'm afraid of until the needle starts coming to, it's not even like needle, it's not even blood. Like I'll, I tell them, I would rather like cut my hand and like squeeze it into a vial, like here's my blood. It's the needle going into the, ugh, the vein. And, and, I, and, and as much as, you know, the like, oh, well, it's just, it's all in your head. No, I, it's not. I, I physically pass out. I physically pass out when I give blood. Some of you laughed a little too hard at that. That's not, it's a pretty like ter- traumatic sight, you know, for everyone else. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I, that's like, that's like a thing for me. And I, so I don't, I don't do it. I don't do it unless I have to. If, you know, if one of my kids needs blood, like I, I'll make the exception. You know, if, if one of you need blood, find someone else. <laughs> so, so I, uh, but then, but then, it, you know, I, this has been with me since the first time I ever did. I'm like, man, I don't, I just get all clammy. And then I just, I literally am like, oh, I pass out. Ugh. Eyes, the whole thing. And um, blackout and like wake up. And I always tell them, listen, if I pass out, don't stop taking the blood. I'm not doing this again. Don't wake me up until you're done. And, and then I, I did some research. I did some research and, uh, and I found out why. And, and this may be true of some of you as well. I don't know if you guys, like if this happens to you ever, if you guys pass out or get a little kind of weird or woozy. Um, what I found out from the research that I found myself was that this is due to a, a specific condition and the condition is called high testosterone. Did you know that? Some of you have that? Any guys, do you have the high, the, the high testosterone struggle in your life? And, uh, and uh, you know, when you're just a man's man, you pass out from blood. Um, so we, we looked at fears, right? And that, that, she, she told me that. I'm like literally going like, oh man, I'm starting to sweat. And, um, and, we, and the point is we all have fears. We all have something that we're afraid of, whether it be rational or irrational. And, and Gideon was a man of fear and God used him despite and in spite of his fears and even in the midst of his fears. And, and this week we continue this story of Gideon and we don't look at fear. We look at his life from a different angle. And I wanna start by asking you a question um, what do you trust in? 
What do you put your trust in? And, and before, you, like before you jump all the way to like, well, I trust in God. And you know, even, it says it even on my money. Well, well yeah, but, but, but there's, there's, a, there's a countless other things that you put your trust in. And, and there's countless things that you trust in every single day. You just trust that it will work or that it will happen. For instance, I'll give you a bunch of examples. You trust every day, every time you get in a car and drive, you trust that the other people are gonna stop at the red light. You don't know. You trust that they're gonna do it, right? And, and not even thinking about it. You're just, you see a green light and you go and you're just trusting that everyone else driving this way is gonna stop, right? And they're gonna obey the traffic signs. We put our trust in complete strangers to obey the rules of the road, right? And when it doesn't happen, it, it, it is a devastation. And we trust, yet we still, we trust. Um, you trust, if you, ha- if you currently work, you trust that you will get paid this month. You don't know. You may be even like putting things on your credit card or, or bills that come in or like making dis- financial decisions all on like trusting that income will be coming in in the amount that it's supposed to come. And if it doesn't come, it can, it can mess everything up. But you, you, trust, you trust that. You trust that it, it's gonna come. Um, you trust... Um, you trust every time, like every time you wake up, you trust that when you turn the faucet on, water will come out. You trust. You get in the shower, you trust that when you turn it on, water will come. And if it doesn't, man, we got a problem. We got to call someone because this, but we don't, you don't even think about like, I wonder if this is going to work. I wonder if the water is going to come out. We just trust that like the, the, the structure in our house is right and everything and the water pressure. You don't even know how the city gets water to your house. You're like, I have no idea how this works, but man, they better get it here or else. And, and we trust, we trust in stuff, but not just stuff. We trust in people and we trust, um, we trust in people that are, are seen as easy, either experts or authorities in their field. And we'll trust what they have to say given their credentials or their accolades or their, or their experience or their degrees. And for instance, um, when, you go to, uh, when you go to a doctor and, and they prescribe something to you, you don't know what this thing is. You don't even know how to pronounce it. You don't know anything about this drug, but you're taking it, not knowing that this, I don't know what this could do to me, but we're trusting in the wisdom and the insight and the knowledge of the doctor who prescribed it, right? We trust. I trust you, doctor, who I just met, who told me this is what's wrong and this is the medication and I'm gonna take it. We trust in not just doctors, but we, um, we trust, like right now, I have a, a car, the mechanic. I trust that the mechanic is gonna find the problem in this car and fix it. And then I'm gonna, listen, I'm gonna risk my life trusting that he got it right. I'm gonna drive it home, assuming, hoping, trusting he actually did the work to fix it, right? We trust in people. You, you trust, listen, uh, if you've been in, you know, in, in church for a while or you know, for your life, you trust, you trust pastors who are on the stage who are going to accurately and adequately and effectively teach the word of God. And, and, and if you find a church that you're like, oh, I don't know, you're like, I wanna find a new church because I want to make sure that they're gonna preach God's word. And, and you trust, when you get to a new, maybe a new church or even this church, I'm gonna trust that, that, they're actually, that, that this guy on the stage is actually gonna like, teach me the truth as well as you should, wholeheartedly without any doubts or questions ever. Right, right? 
You trust politicians. No, that's too far. That's too far. I can't. I don't want to say that, right? The, the point is, we trust in things. We trust in people every day, every single day. And so the question is not like, well, do you trust in something? We all trust in something. That's the point. You, we all trust in something. The question is, what do you put your trust in? Your ultimate trust where you say, this is what I trust in because, ready? The thing that you trust in, it, it shapes your life. It has a direct impact on the experience, the quality, the direction of your life. So if you say, I don't trust in anyone else, I will never trust in other people, I only trust in myself, that will affect your lifestyle. That will affect your career, that will affect your relationships, it will affect your life. If you say, I only trust in me. Or you say, I don't trust in God, I only trust in the things that I can see or touch. Okay, I, I, I totally get that. That will affect your lifestyle as well. That will have an effect. You trust in something and whatever you trust in shapes your life one way or the other not even for good or bad necessarily but 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 like i think we could say that there is a better ways to live and not as good ways to live right walking around saying i will trust no one nowhere no time no ever that is probably not a great way to make friends to say i will never trust you okay nice to meet you <laughs> we all trust in something whether it be people or stuff or, or our, our experience or education or our knowledge, and what you trust in shapes your life. So let's look at the life of Gideon and see what he trusted in. Here's what we see as we start out in, in, uh, in chapter seven. Israel, all of Israel now, was tempted to trust in itself. They were tempted to trust in them, in themselves, in their own abilities to save themselves. Now, we've been looking at, uh, at uh, the book of Judges, not just as a what happened, uh, though that's certainly profitable, and just looking at the book, here's what happened and here's why, but also then, all right, well, what does it teach us about us? What does the book of Judges show us about us? So not only do we know that Israel is tempted to trust in itself, we think that we can fix ourselves. Whatever issues are going on in our life, listen, I got it, I can fix this. This is, there's, there's no problem too great for me to solve. And when you're young, that's probably true because you're like, you're thinking about it. You're like, you don't have a lot of issues or struggles or problems. And, and I can say this, like some of you who are maybe older, more mature, more experienced, more wisdom, you say, oh man, I, I have messed up so many different things in my life. I've messed up relationships. I've messed up like job situations. I've messed up a lot trying to just like do it myself, like fix it myself. Man, I, I, I do not bat a thousand in this area of trust. I, I think I can fix it myself. And, and, and Israel did this very same thing. God wants to make a statement to Israel and to us through Gideon. So here's what he's going to do. He's going to instruct Gideon in this, this, uh, this, this, uh, this battle they're about to have with all of their enemies. He's going to instruct them to decrease the size of his army. This is the opposite of what you should and would want to do. And he does so because he wants to demonstrate his power, his might, and his sovereignty, his ability to say, I'm in control here, not you. So here's what we see. In Judges chapter seven, verse one, it says, early in the morning, Jerubbaal, if you remember, that's the name that was given to Gideon. So it says that is Gideon. 
Jerubbaal is the, the one who contends with Baal. Let Baal contend, contest him. You remember this from last, uh, last week, last chapter? So he has this name, Jerubbaal, which is also Gideon. And all of his men camped at the spring of Harad. The camp of Midian was north of them, in the valley near the hill of Morah. So he's giving you this. Here it is. Here's the place. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands. Or, here it is, ready? Or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. I can't. I can't let them defeat the Midianites with this many people because they'll think they did it themselves under their own strength and they saved themselves apart from me. So, Gideon, we have to decrease the size of your army. Then he says this. Now, announce to, to the army, to everyone, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So, we're told, 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. So here's this scene. First off, first off, like Gideon, good on you for raising an army of 32,000 Israelites ready to go to battle, ready to go to war against the enemy, against the Amalekites um, and the Midianites, and then it says the Easternly people. All right, so these people that have been, uh, that have been uh, uh, suppressing you, ridiculing you, um, harassing you, uh, they've been ruining your, stealing your lands, killing people, like for years and years and years. All right, finally, it's time, to start. It's time now to fight back and to not allow this. Anymore. All right, 32,000 show up. And then in one, just one quick little motion, over two-thirds of them go home. So this is not a small, small army, 32,000. Like, like Ben is about 100,000, right, plus or minus. So, so just generally speaking, about a third of Ben, a third of all of Ben shows up ready to fight. And God says, that's too many. You got too many men. You need to send home anyone who's afraid. So, all right, anyone who's afraid. And if, if history and if Hollywood teaches us anything, it's that before any good battle, you need a really good speech, right? If you remember Braveheart, you remember Braveheart? You're like, oh yeah, it's my favorite movie. Okay, Braveheart is Braveheart because of the speech, right? And he goes through this whole speech. Some of you can, you can like recite it as you're watching, going like, oh. And, and he says, they can take our lands, but they can never take our Okay, but he yells it. That was, that was pretty weak, you guys. You guys are not ready for battle. And they can never take our freedom. And all of a sudden, they're like, yeah. And like, you're watching this going like, man, put me in this movie. Like, I'm ready to go fight. And, and, and like, there we go. All right, here's, here's Gideon's speech. Any of you terrified in fear? Yeah. Go home. Just go home. We don't, we don't need you. We, you need to leave. So, all right. 22,000 of them pack up and take off. 10,000 courageous, brave people, like these, these actual soldiers, they stick around, seeing everyone leave, and knowing we're going to die. It's 10,000 versus an army of countless numbers. We're going to die, but all right, so be it. Here I am, Lord, I'm ready to go. 22,000 leave. And then it says this, verse four. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Okay, Lord, listen, I'm not a mathematician here, but we don't add through division. I know that. If we keep dividing our forces, we're not gaining more soldiers. There's still too many men. Take them down to the water 
and I will send them out for you there. I'll do the rest. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So, all right, Gideon, here we go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, all right, separate those who who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel to drink. So, So those who drink like a dog are to separate from those who drink like people. Okay, this this is a military strategy on how to build your army. So it says this, verse six, 300 of them drank from cupped hands, they got water in their hands and lapped like dogs. And the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over, and then they, they took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. So here's the scene. Ready? Let's go get water. All right, we're thirsty. Great. Everyone get water, and he's just watching who drinks, right? There's, now listen, there's 10,000 of them. So they're probably in lines. They're probably taking turns. And, and anyone who gets down on their knees, he's like, nope, nope. Anyone who gets a cup and brings it up and like a dog, they're going, Yes, you are a soldier. You clearly are ready to fight. And, and there's a lot of commentators who will discuss like why this is and why these men were like, they, they did this because they were more alert and it was able to, they were able to drink and so they can still be watched. So like, oh, they're, they're very smart, very astute soldiers. But that's not what we're told in scripture. In fact, what we're told is that God wants the people who don't have any of the might, who don't have the ability to take credit themselves. These weren't like, it wasn't the best soldiers that he's weeding out. Like, I want the best of the best. It's just 300 guys who happen to drink like a dog. And, and those, those are my force. Like, that's the army for me. Okay, so they separate out. Now, you have now less than, literally less than 1% of your original army. You got 32,000. You now have 300 men. That's it. 300 and the last 10,000, the last right, uh, 9,700, they were all warriors. They were actually ones who were courageous, who said, I'm not afraid, I'm ready to fight. They were probably harder to send home than the original ones. They're like, listen, you gotta go home. I'm here to fight. No, I know, but you, you didn't drink the water the right way. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I gotta go home because I got down on my knees? Yeah, sorry, you did it wrong. And I, I'm, but I'm ready to fight. You need soldiers. No, I, but I don't need you. Kicking and screaming, I gotta leave? I gotta leave the battlefield? So now, there's 300 men who remain who are probably like, why did I drink like a, why did I do it like a dog? This is crazy. I should have just been like a human. Instead, here I am. So it says this. These 300, they, they are the, the ones who remain. They take the supplies of everyone else and this is the army. This, this we could call as an anti-strategy. This is absurd. This is a guaranteed failure for battle, right? In, um, in, in ancient Near Eastern uh, times, you were ju- your nation was judged based on the size of its military and its strength. And so generally speaking, the larger the army you had, the greater the military force. And, and the, again, just, just math, the larger the army probably, like, it has a better chance of beating a smaller army, right? You want more soldiers, not less. 
Yet in God, like in God's grand scheme, he goes, I don't care about numbers. I don't need numbers. I'm, you're not going to win because of your might against their might. You're going to win because I'm in charge and I will deliver them into your hands. Not because you saved yourself, but because you need to trust in me. Ooh. Gideon, he wants Gideon to remove anything and everything that will cause Israel to trust in itself. And this makes sense because if you did the same thing, if you remove the things in your life that cause you to trust in yourself and I, I get rid of all of that stuff, what I have left is all I have is to trust in God. That's it. That's all I can do now. Beyond myself, beyond my ability to, to save myself or to get out of this circumstance or to, to fix this thing. All right, God, I gotta rely on you because I got nothing left. So we see Gideon does this. And then we see that fearful Gideon, he needs others to encourage him. Part of this story is not that now all of a sudden Gideon was this great man of courage. And No, 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 we see Gideon still afraid. Like he could have been included in that first 22,000 to go home because he is afraid. And just like, just like Gideon needs others to encourage him, listen, you and I, we need to lean on the encouragement of others. And we need to be the kind of people who do encourage others. There are times in your life when you really do need outside help. You really do need other people to lean on. As much as you think, I want to do this alone, I can beat this alone, I can overcome this by myself, I don't need anyone else's help, I got this. There are times in your life where you really do need to lean on the support of other people. Gideon needed that, and, and, and you need that. And there are times where you need to be that for someone else. That we, we need to lean on the encouragement of others. Here's what it says in verse 8. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley, so he sees the camp. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up, go down against the camp, because I'm gonna give it into your hands. All right, again, he's like, okay, Lord, I, I, you're getting rid of all my people. How am I supposed to do this? If you are afraid to attack, then go down to the camp with your servant, Parah, and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you'll be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Parah, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. You know what this tells us? Gideon was afraid. God says, all right, if you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp. Gideon says, I'll go down to the camp <laughs> because I am afraid. And listen, rightly so. This, this army, it, like it says, is countless. We'll see this in a second. That this, it, it is massive. It is huge. And he's got 300 guys. That's it. Not even the great soldiers. Just 300 guys were there. And we see this. Gideon gets some encouragement. Here's what it says. The Midianites, Amalekites, and the other Easterly people have settled in the valley thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand of the seashore. Not even just their soldiers, but like their, the military weapons, like the things that are gonna give them the advantage, their camels. We, we can't even, I can't even count the number of camels that they have, let alone soldiers. It's so large it cannot be numbered. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling his friend. I had a dream. He was saying, all right, Gideon overhears this. And this dream is not exactly what you want to hear before you go into battle. It's not really an encouragement 
of some strong force of the Lord. Let's just, let's just listen to the dream. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. Okay, not a great start. Not exactly a weapon you want when fighting a battle, right? Here's what we're gonna do. <laughs> we're gonna fight with bread. <laughs> it struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. What a sign. You guys, what a sign. This dream of this bread rolling into camp and taking out the tent. Now, I'm sure you've had dreams about food before. I certainly have. I would love to dream about bread. <laughs> Maybe often I do, but it's not, it's not a sign. You know what? You know what? I'm totally gonna win that battle tomorrow. I'm totally gonna win. In fact, I'm probably gonna lose the battle to the bread. <laughs> But he has a dream about bread, and he's telling it to his friends, like, what could this mean? And, and here it is. Ready? His friend responded, this, this, this is great. This, this is great. Ready? This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. <laughs> like, what? what? Come again? That's what you got? Like, bread rolling into camp? This is the mighty Gideon <laughs> rolling into camp as bread. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. <laughs> Gideon needs encouragement. And you know what he gets? Encouragement. And you know what's interesting? God knew he needed encouragement. What's so crazy is that, that Gideon has been, he's been having conversations with God. If you remember last week, last chapter, he had an interaction with God himself. The angel of the Lord shows up, who we look at and we say, this is the second person of the Trinity. This is, this is the God himself speaking in bodily form. This is the, what is often referred to as the pre-incarnate Jesus. He's, he's talking to, again, theologically, probably Jesus himself. And it's not good enough. He still has fear. He still is overcome with doubt and, 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 and insecurity and needs some assurance and God knows that. And instead of saying, oh, you have little faith, he says, all right, go down and get some encouragement. Go down and hear about this dream that I gave this guy about bread and be encouraged. Gideon, he needed encouragement. God gave him encouragement. Now there's, his men, has, these men now have more confidence in him than he does. The Lord has more confidence in him than he does. And he only has 300 men and, and they believe God is now behind Gideon. Here's what we see next. God, uh, Gideon is, relies on God, not his army. Gideon learns to rely and to trust now on God, not on the, his ability to save himself. God wants us to, now this might sound familiar now, God wants us to live by faith, not simply by sight. We're good at living by sight. We're good at, at, at believing what we see and, and only what we see. And what God says is, hey, this, it's not wrong. It's not like don't live by sight. But, but listen, there are times in your life, especially with regard to him, that, that sight is not enough. What you can see or experience is not enough. You need to, you need to experience and live by faith in what God says is true, not just what you see to be true. So he tells Gideon, Listen, I, I want you to trust me, not in your army. So Gideon's response is worship. It starts with encouragement. He needs some encouragement, and he gets encouragement. You know what encouragement means? Ready? It's in the word, ready? To give courage to someone, to put courage in, to encourage. So he, is, he needs some encouragement, he gets some encouragement, and then his response is, I'm gonna worship God. And then you know what that leads to? Courage. 
And that process, listen, that same process is what you need. It's what you can experience. It's what you can go through. When you need encouragement, all right, you get some encouragement from some people around you, circumstances, or, or loved ones in your life, or maybe even strangers. You get some encouragement about something in your life, and that res- your response should then be, great, I can do it myself. No, the response is, thank you, Lord. Thank you for being there and encouraging me. All right, now I'm going to walk in faith and in the courage I just received. That's what he does. That's what we can and should do, to receive encouragement, to worship God, to thank him for it, and then to live in that courage. Here's what it says in verse 15. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshiped. He worshiped God. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, get up, the Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. He says, listen, I am now sure we got this. I've received the encouragement. I'm worshiping God. And now, all right, I believe it. Let's go. So it says this, dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Listen, there's no no mention of a single weapon. He doesn't say, all right, get your sword and get your neighbor's sword. The guy who left, take his sword, take the other swords, take everything you, every weapon you can find. He doesn't say any of that. Now he's gonna give this strategy and it's, it's really, it's honestly, it's brilliant what we're about to read. Um, and and it has, it's not about weapons. Here's what I want you to get, ready? I want you to take a ram's horn, a trumpet, and I want you to take an empty jar and I want you to take a torch, okay? What else? That's it. I've never fought a battle with these items. You will today. So he says this, watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp below, sh- yours, uh, uh, blow yours and shout for the Lord, and this is so funny, and for Gideon. Do you know who said that? Gideon. <laughs> Here's the deal, ready? Hey, as a church, we're gonna do this thing, this outreach, we're gonna accomplish this. We're gonna do this for the Lord and for Brandon. Who's with me? And you're like, whoa, dude, okay, you're drinking a little too much of your Kool-Aid. Like Gideon, he says, for the Lord and for Gideon. And maybe the Lord tells him to say that, but it's like, okay, for the Lord and for me, you're gonna do this. And, and that's now the speech. And they're like, yeah, let's get them. And, and this strategy that we're about to see is, is we could call shock and awe, that's it. That's all they had. They didn't have weapons. They didn't have horses. They didn't have camels. They had shock and awe. Here we go. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch just after they had changed the guard. This is important. This is actually really important. So they have these three groups of a hundred now surrounding the camp, right? And his group gets there and right at the middle of the watch, just after they changed guard. So the night watch was... Um, you know, you can't have your entire army all sleeping at the same time because anyone can come in and, uh, and literally de- defeat them while they sleep. So you have a group, probably a, maybe a quarter or so of your army on watch and they take shifts. So you guys sleep and we'll be on watch. We'll make sure that no one comes. If anyone comes, we'll wake everyone up and we'll defend ourselves. And then we'll go in, get some sleep and you come out and they keep doing this, right? So during the middle of one of these changes, is when they attack. And that's actually really important. 
So in the middle of the watch, just at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed guard, and here it is, they blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars. They're like, all right, blow the trumpet, smash the jar. That's how we fight. What? Grasping the torches in their left hand and holding it in their right hand, the, the trumpets, they were to blow and they shouted. So they did it. They, they got, I, got my, I got my torch. I got my blowing and I'm shouting. And they add a little bit. They're like, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. They're like, yeah, that's their like freedom chant. Freedom, like, yeah, Lord and Gideon. And, and here's what happens. This is so crazy. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. So here's the scene, ready? All of Gideon's guys are around the camp and they don't go in. They blow the horns, they, they crack the pots so that to reveal the torches out of nowhere so it goes from pitch black to now they're surrounded by, this, by these fiery flames and they hear the sound and, and all of the Midianite, all of them, they become terrified and confused. And this is why it's so, like, this is so brilliant. Because while they're switching, it's while they're switching, while, so, while guys are leaving and the other guys are coming in, everyone wakes up and they think, they think that the guys coming back in are the enemies. And here's what we see, ready? Verse 22, when the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. They started fighting each other. They hear this sound, they see all this, and they freak out, and they assume everyone coming in from the Night's Watch are all the bad guys, because they just woke up, and they hear, and they see, and they realize, they're so, and they're hearing, for the Lord, and for Gideon, and meanwhile, all these other guys are coming in, and they're like, kill them, and they start killing everyone, and here's what's interesting, ready? None of the 300 of Gideon's soldiers, none of them killed a single enemy. They stayed at the edge of camp. And they just watched it happen because it was not on their own strength or their own abilities. It wasn't their own like military prowess or like, man, I know Kung Fu. Like I will take out, I can take out 40 guys myself. It isn't because they were super soldiers. It's all because God saved them. They just got to watch. They got to see what God did for them. Oof. Here's what we see. God does exactly what he tells Gideon he'll do. Here's what we need to see. Ready? Our lesson. If God says it, we believe it. If God says it, you, I, we need to believe him. Not because our sight. This, this, would, be, this would be hard to accept with your sight to see God's clearly going to defeat these thousands of soldiers with just a few, few hundred just 300, our sight would deceive us and say there is no way, there is no possible way they can win. And God says, let me get to work. Watch this. And, they, and he does all of it. Here's what we see in verse 23. Israelites from Naphtali, Asher, and all, and all Manasseh were called out and they pursued the Midianites. Now, now that it's done and all of the, the, the main def, like battle is, is, is over and they've been defeated, now it's the mop-up crew. Now it's the like, all right, now let's go get everyone who's fleeing. Literally, go clean it up. Gideon sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim saying, come down against the Midianites and seize the waters of the Jordan ahead of them as far as Beth Barah. So here's what happens. 
Gideon says, all right, now go send word uh, of, of all those in Ephraim and where they're, they're gonna come over the Jordan. They're gonna, they're gonna seize that part of it and we're gonna pinch them in the middle. It's called a pincer move. This is like an actual military strategy. We're gonna chase them into our other guys and we're gonna, they're gonna meet us in the middle and we will take them out, right? So we're gonna continue to chase them. You get in front of them and we'll meet in the middle. So all of the men of Ephraim were called out and they seized the waters of the Jordan as far as Beth Barah. They did what he said. They also captured two of the Midianite leaders, Oreb and Zeb. First of all, those are awesome names if you're pregnant, like Cassie. I'm suggesting these as possible names for Cassie. Oreb and Zeb. Zeb, baby Zeb. That's so cute. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb and Zeb at the winepress of Zeb. Okay, maybe not the best of like, names to be remember, like, remembered by. They pursued the Midianites and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb, okay, don't use those names, to Gideon, <laughs> who was by the Jordan. So they, they conquered them. They took them out. They, they took their leaders, and they took their heads to Gideon and said, we did it. And you know what's interesting? This, this, whole, this thing comes full circle, even in the little details. That what do you know? And when God, calls, when God calls Gideon, it involves a wine press. Do you remember this from last week? And a rock. And what do you know? God defeats his enemies at a place called the rock of Oreb and the winepress of Zeb, at a rock and a winepress. He's going, listen, I'm in charge here. I know exactly what I'm doing, even to the little details. I know what I'm doing. Here's the deal. We all trust in something. You trust in something. Whether it be yourself or, or the experts or or the things outside your control, or nothing, only yourself. And what you trust in shapes your life. So the question for us is, who do you trust in? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, it says this, let us hold unswervingly, not in ourselves, not to our own inner strength, not to our own ability to overcome, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. That God who says this, God who promises us freedom and salvation is faithful. So you, me, all of us here, what does for you, what does more trust in God look like for you? As much as someone else needs to hear this, as much as the, oh man, I really want them to, they need to be thinking about this or they, no, 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 hold on, listen, that, 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 may, that may be true, that other people need to be thinking about how they trust in God, but for you, now for you, for you, for each one of you, what does, what does trusting God more in your life look like? What would it look like if you said, I can, today, I trust God 100%. Not 99, not just a little bit, not with, not with the, the big things or even just the small things. Like, like we would all say, I, I think to a degree, assuming that you're a follower of Jesus, you believe in God, like you're a follower of, all right, you would say, all right, I trust in God. But do you always? Don't you, aren't there times you say, hey, I trust God, but also like, I'm gonna go ahead and take care of this. <laughs> but also, I think I can do this. What would it look like for you to say, all right, God, in this situation, I trust you fully. I don't know if we're all there. I don't know if I'm always there. That 100% of the time, 100%, I, I'm 100% trusting God always. Man, I want to, I want to. But just like, the, just like the disciples said, 
We, we believe, Lord, help our unbelief. There's still some there. Lord, increase my trust. What does more trust in God look like for you? Would you do this? Would you stand up? As we get ready to worship the Lord, just like Gideon did, to say, all right, Lord, I got some encouragement today. Now we're gonna worship, and then, and then here's what you get to do. You get to walk out in life this week with courage. In faith, say, all right, God, I'm gonna trust you more. Will you pray with me? So, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for, um, thank you for the lessons that we can see in the lives of, of your judges. And though they were certainly imperfect, flawed people, they give us a look into what it means to grow in their understanding of who you are and to, to grow in their trust in you. Help us to be a people who increases our trust in you. That in the things in our lives where it's easy to, to, to doubt, to have, to, uh, to have concerns or anxieties or worries or fears, help calm all of that and remind us and you really are in control and in charge. So help us to trust in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's worship the Lord again.